Genesis 6, beginning at verse 11. This is the word of God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make, uh, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of, ever, of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is to be eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. Matthew 24 beginning at verse 36. This is the word of God. Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. If you ever pop down to your local Christian bookshop or open up a children's Bible, you will nearly definitely find a beautifully drawn cartoon picture of a smiling bearded man, not Scott, Scott has a beard, uh, surrounded by a wonderfully happy collection of little animals who went into the ark two by two. But just think about that for a moment and think about what is really going on in that famous story. Because frequently, 
I think we can lose sight of what that story is really about. We can water down the seriousness of that story by thinking that Noah and the Ark is little more than a children's story. Really, when we think about Noah and the Ark, we shouldn't primarily be thinking about two friendly lions or two smiling giraffes with their heads poking through the roof. We nearly become so familiar with stories like that of Noah and the Ark that the gravity of that story is reduced to Mr. Noah went into the Arky Arky. When really, really, it should be more like a horror story that gives us a glimpse into the terror of the wrath of God and his anger at sin. Maybe something more like this. It's a glimpse into the judgment, the judgment that will come on this very world. Paul says in Colossians 3.6 that it's because of sin. On account of sin, the wrath of God is coming. On this very country, on this very town, on this very street, the wrath of God will come because of sin. And if you're not in Christ It's a picture of the judgment that will come and will befall you. So please forget Mr. Noah and the Arky Arky and think, think how you are going to stand in the judgment of God. Because in this story, we find an extraordinarily clear picture of God's grace to his people and how he saves through faith alone. So please turn with me to our reading from Genesis 6, starting at verse 11 on page 5. Uh, You will find it helpful to follow along in your Bibles, so please do. And we'll be thinking about those verses in three sections. We'll be thinking about the sin of the earth, we'll be thinking about the grace of God, and we'll be thinking about the faith of Noah. And then we'll end up briefly thinking about what this means for us as a small congregation in this church in County Down. So firstly, the sin of the earth in verses 11 to 13. In verse 11, we find something that I think resonates with us all. When we turn on the news, what do we see? We see death, we see murder, we see rape, genocide, violence, The ways in which we treat one another are absolutely astounding, simply astounding. We read stories from Open Doors about Christians being locked in metal shipping containers in Eritrea and dumped in the desert to cook. We read about Christians in Nigeria who are strapped to metal frames and electrocuted for no other reason then they believe what we say we believe. And before any of us have any thought that, well, that's just the third world countries or anything like that, have you ever looked at the civilized West? 
this month alone, in Northern Ireland, we've heard about a young mother being brutally attacked with hammers. As we speak, a 25-year-old man is awaiting trial in Belfast for the rape of a two-week-old baby. And that's an Anna Long. That's 45 minutes from here. There are constant mass shootings in the U.S. There are cases of domestic violence and abuse that probably we will never hear about. And that's before we even start on the whole Me Too movement. Have you ever turned on the news or opened a newspaper and genuinely thought, how do these people sleep at night? Which is fine until we start to look at our own hearts. What about us, the Christians? We fail utterly to love God anywhere close to what he deserves. We can't even love our neighbors as ourselves. We discourage our children. We speak harshly to our spouses. We gossip. We lie. We hate. We lust. If we look at a sinful world in shock, when that's the state of our own hearts, imagine what it's like to look on that world, that sinful world, if you are perfect in holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Because that's what's behind verse 11 and 12 in Genesis. We read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and all the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Sin has infected every part of our world, of our existence, like a cancer. It spreads and spreads and destroys what was once beautiful. And folks, God sees all of this do not think for a moment that God does not see what's going on. Do not think for a moment that God does not care. We know from his word that God will punish all sin, from what we think is the worst, to the sins that we brush off. So what is God's response, his just and perfect response to this evil? Do you think he's smiling away in heaven? Because God is love. Do you think God is saying, ah, way out of guys, everybody's going to heaven anyway? No. In verse 13, we see one of the attributes of God. The wrath of God. God is angry at sin, at the sin of the world. A world that he created in love and goodness. A world that we, have corrupted. God's response is judgment. But notice, it's not immediate judgment. But judgment is coming all the same. So he says to this guy Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Even in Genesis, the wages of sin is death. But we also know that 
God is love. Love as the Bible defines it, not the world. We know that God is love. We know that God is gracious, long-suffering, kind, merciful. So in verses 14 to 21, we actually get a very clear picture of the grace of God. In verses 14 to 16, God tells Noah to build this great big boat, three decks, and we think roughly 600 feet long, 100 feet high, and 60 feet wide. Why? What's the boat got to do with anything? It's grace. This is how God is going to save people from the judgment, to save Noah and his family from the judgment that is coming. Look at verses 17 and 18 and the two things that God will do. Verse 17, God will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. And verse 18, but God will establish his covenant with Noah. So even here in Genesis 6, God in his grace is saving a people for himself. And he's not saving them from nothingness. He is saving them from judgment. He is saving them from death. If the folks are on the earth, they will die. But if the folks are in the ark, they will be saved. They will live. God promises his covenant, his promise of blessing with Noah, before Noah even sets foot on the ark. And what's Noah's reaction to all of this? Well, we know in verse 13 that God spoke to Noah. So what's Noah's options here? Is it going to be listen to what God has said? Listen to the word of God? Or is it going to be don't listen to the word of God? Don't listen to what God has said. Noah's been warned. He has the offer of salvation right in front of him. Does Noah listen? Does he believe God? Yes, Noah believes God. We read in verses 22 to 7-1 about the faith of Noah. In verse 22, we read that Noah did all this. He did everything that God commanded him. And how does the author of Hebrews interpret that little verse? As the outworking of Noah's faith. As the outworking of Noah's living faith. As we heard in the call to worship, twice the author of Hebrews has said this is by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by works. By faith. Was Noah saved by works? No, by faith. Noah was saved by faith, like Abraham, as we heard this morning. Noah heard the word of God, he believed the word of God, and he lived by faith in the word of God. Noah believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. How did Noah condemn the world? Because in the, wicked, in the middle of a wicked and unbelieving world, what did Noah do? Noah believed God. The folks were condemned because they didn't believe. That's the same as John 3.18. 
How did the world see that Noah believed God? Well, Noah built the ark. Folks, the ark was a 600-foot-long testament of salvation to an unbelieving world. Scholars think it took Noah about 50 years to build the ark. Have you ever thought about that length of time? 50 years of building a huge boat by hand without power tools in a landlocked region. For 50 years, the people saw Noah building this ark. Can you imagine the mocking of seeing a guy building a massive boat by hand in a landlocked region? Hey Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat, God will send a flood. Judgment will come. Repent. Noah, you're surrounded by dry land. What fool spends their life building a boat this far from the sea? Have you thought that was 50 years for the world to repent? 50 years of grace to this unbelieving world with a living, breathing witness. Not met with repentance, but met with mocking. That's what the seemingly weird bit in 1 Peter 3.18 is about. Christ, through Noah, preached the good news. They didn't obey, and now their souls are in hell. Even though God's patience waited while the ark was being prepared. Decades. Could God just have taken Noah like he took Enoch and then sent the flood? Yeah, of course God could have done that. Enoch and Noah are the only two folk in the whole of Scripture that we are told walked with God. But unlike Enoch, God doesn't take Noah. Instead, God leaves Noah as a witness of his patience, of his kindness, of his grace to an evil and unbelieving world. When Moses writes in Exodus 34 that God is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, it's this kind of thing that proves who God is. When you think of the ark, don't just think of the animals that went in two by two. Think primarily of the grace of God. Think of the, ba the patience of God. Think of the abounding, steadfast love of the Lord. Is there anyone here tonight who knows Christ and is not immensely thankful that he is merciful and slow to anger and gracious? That all the sermons that we heard before we believed, all the times the Sunday school teachers told us, the ministers taught us, even our mothers at the sink told us to look to Christ, that all of the times that we rejected Christ, God didn't just say, that's it, that's the hundredth time he's heard it. I'm done. Instead, God's loving kindness pursued us all the days of our lives until one day his spirit opened our eyes to see our eternal need of Christ. And we received Christ by faith. Because even now when we fail utterly to love Christ as we should, his faithfulness is great 
God is still faithful to us for Christ's sake. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. We are loved as Christ. Think about how that patience was so visible through the faith of Noah. Fifty years of faith in every tree cut, every plank sawn, every nail hammered. Fifty years of faith in God's word, in God's promise. Fifty years of living by faith. But when that final nail was hammered, when that final screw was turned, what happened? Well, the Lord speaks again in verse 7, 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Was it because of Noah's work that God declared him righteous? No, because we know from 6, 9 that Noah was already declared righteous. Noah was already blameless. Noah was already declared just. And Noah walked with God before any of this. But God used Noah as a witness. And evidently his family believed him because they made it onto the ark too. So what does all that have to do with us as we sit here? Well, earlier on in a reading from Matthew, we hear Jesus' take on this story. And Jesus ties it to the end of days, to the judgment at the end of days. And it's crystal clear. Nobody knows when Christ is coming back. In the incarnation, even Christ didn't know. And that does not mean that he was not God. That means, as Paul says in Philippians 2.7, that he emptied himself of certain attributes, the incommunicable attributes of God. So if you're on a website or something and somebody says that the end of the earth is the 31st of October 2019, don't believe them. They are lying to you. Instead, what does Jesus say about the end of days? Well, in verse 37 he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what was it like in the days of Noah? whole world was covered in violence and evil, like today. What did society look like in the days of Noah, when Noah was building the ark? Verse 38, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Judgment was coming. They had Noah preaching They had Noah building this ark for decades. But instead of listening, they were living without a single thought of God. Instead of turning to God, Jesus says that they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. There's nothing wrong with eating, drinking or giving in marriage. Of course not. But if the gifts keep us from the giver, then they're a curse. And these folks ignored the giver because they were too preoccupied with the gifts. There's not a bother on them. Not like the crazy guy down the road who's building an ark because he listened to God. Folks, think about our context. 
our world, our society. Because what we are doing right here, right now, is crazy in the eyes of the world. We are listening to words from a book that is thousands of years old, the central teaching of which is that a Jewish carpenter died and came back to life, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Have you ever thought how strange that sounds to people? Paul did, in 1 Corinthians 1.25, Paul says that this is absolute foolishness to unbelievers. Maybe that's why our churches are getting smaller and smaller, and our Bible studies are getting smaller, and our prayer meetings have fewer seats. Because this message is foolishness. But friends, when we read about the ark, please try and see the shadow of Christ and the church in the ark. The true church the invisible church. As Scott preached last week, the wheat, not the tares. Because the church is a picture of God's grace and God's goodness and God's patience to the world. Even though we have newspapers, we have politicians, influencers, friends, neighbors, everybody telling us that we are wrong that we are idiots, that we are fools, that we are bigots. Folks, please be encouraged that we are standing on the right side of history. Just like Noah was standing on the right side of history. Because what happened in the day of Noah, well, that is a big picture of what it's going to be like at the final judgment when Christ comes back. In verses 38 and 39 of Matthew, Uh, We read, For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. They had no notion, no notion of the judgment that was going to fall on them. It absolutely caught them off guard. These folk thought it was going to be business as usual day after day after day. But one day it wasn't. And who was saved? The apparently crazy guy who spent 50 years building a boat miles away from the sea. He wasn't subject to the judgment. Why? Because... He lived by faith. He was already declared righteous. And that too is a picture of the church at the end of days. Folks, we will not be subject to the judgment. Why? Because like Noah, we live by faith. But we know a little bit more. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We live by faith. We have already been declared righteous or just. We are justified because Jesus Christ on the cross took all of our sin, all of our failings, everything, all our evil, and paid for it with his blood. 
he took the wrath of God for us. Folks, in a very real sense, Christ is our ark. Because if we are in him, if we are united to him by faith, then we are saved. We are saved. We are saved from the wrath that is to come. And we know that because we listen to God's word. We hear him say it. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We know from Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have now been justified by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. When Christ returns, listen to what is facing those who have rejected him, who have not listened to him. Not a flood, but something much, much, much worse. Revelation 19.15 gives us a glimpse into that day. Christ will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Folks, don't mistake God's patience for either him not caring or not hearing or not existing. And don't make the mistake that God is not angry at sin. Christ is coming again. Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. We can be more sure of that than anything else we think we know. So folks, this week, can we try and encourage each other in three ways. Firstly, despite what you hear in media or anywhere else, you are not a fool for trusting Christ. No more than Noah was a fool for building an ark. Like Noah, your faith is in the right person. You are on the right side of history. Secondly, please do keep on praying for those folk who don't yet know Christ and who would rather be anywhere else than worshipping him. We thank God that God is patient, and we thank God for his promise that his sheep will hear his voice. And thirdly, please do not mistake a big church for a healthy church. Numbers at a morning service do not necessarily indicate a healthy church. No more than a 30-stone body is a sign of health compared to someone that's 11 stone. It could be but not necessarily. And please don't go down the route of thinking that Bible studies, prayer meetings, evening worship should all be ditched because no one comes. Folks, you are here and you are not no one. You are the bride of Christ, you are the church, and you are loved. Christ died for you. Folks, you are in Christ you are in the ark. In Noah's day, the church on earth was down to eight people. Literally everybody else was against Christ. If the day comes that we are down to eight people, or seven people, or it's just you and the missus in the attic reading scripture because the government has outlawed what we do here as hate speech, 
and Scott and Dave and I are in McGabry or somewhere. Do not be discouraged. Forget us. We are dispensable. Sorry, Dave. But never, never forget Christ because it is Christ who is building his church. And it's been happening since creation, not the last five decades. In mercy, in grace, in steadfast love, in faithfulness, Christ is building his church as a witness to an unbelieving world. And folks, please know this. Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And tonight, we thank Christ that he is our ark. Amen.